You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. about uh, that comprise the part of Tzorat Abayit. Not all of them are exactly directly about Tzorat Abayit. You can watch the sequence happen. Uh, right, introduction that it speaks to Moshe and Aaron, not just to Moshe. And in fact, um, right, the Kohen gets enormous, uh, enormous role in this, in this parsha. And it begins by saying, "Ki servo will eres kenan, asherinu sein lechem lachuzah, v'nosati neged saras beveis eres lachuzaschem." So there are a couple of interesting things here. Right, uh, this is the first mention, the first time that Eretz that Eretz Yisrael is the land they're going to is referred to as Eretz Kenan uh, in Sefer Vayikra, really, since all the way back in Bishalach. So it's an interesting question why specifically we mention Eretz Kenan here. Um, it's given as, a, which I will give you as an achuzah, and then the nasati um, is an interesting verb to put in that case. Um, there are two issues about the nasati. One is that it might have a positive connotation. Uh, that's not entirely true. The nasati of Panayi who is certainly negative, and that occurs several times. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean gift, but it could be an issue. And um, secondly, uh, right, it says, then it says, So, first of all, it's singular, you would expect to be in the houses of your achuzah. Secondly, right, we already described Eretz Canaan as the th- place I'm going to give you as an achuzah. So, why do you have to repeat the verse? You would think that it's the houses that belong to you. The houses don't relate to the house, let alone the house of the Eretz achuzah. Okay, then we have a curious uh, sort of circumlocution, Uva Asher Lo Habayit, and the one to whom the house belongs will come. Asher Lo Habayit is an interesting way of describing uh, the owner. You don't have the term Baal Habayit yet, but it might have been a more direct way um, of describing it. And he says to the Kohen, and, he, and here all of a sudden we get right, a very clear imprecision, Kineg Anir Ali Babayit, right? It says, obvious that the person is not saying there is an ega, but rather that something like an ega appears in the house. You see this sensitivity to the kuh, um, right? Kacha sotalayla. Yitzhak Mitzrayim is the most um, is the most famous one that kuh is deliberately imprecise. Um, and it turns out here it really does matter because the Kohen orders the house to be emptied, and the Kohen doesn't come to decide whether it's an ega or not until after the house has been emptied to avoid things in the house becoming teme. And then we have a whole procedure about what happens. Right there's a, a series of Options, right? The coin show, comes to show up the house and to, to see the house, and we have these series of conjunctions of the verb vira and hine. So, right, so there's always like a sense, right? You look at it, and then all of a sudden it becomes revealed to you. So you look at the neg. He looks at the nega. Here it doesn't say vira nega, but I don't think there's a way to do that in Hebrew really, um, uh, really, really efficiently. And look, there's a nega. So he closes the house for seven days, and then he comes back on day seven, and he sees the nega has spread, and now they there's a certain amount of deconstruction. They take the they take the stones which have the nega out of the house and they bring and they put them somewhere outside the city, um, right? And they do all sorts of things around the right around the house, and they take stones and they replace the stones that were taken out. Okay, that stage. Now we wait. If the nega doesn't come back, then I guess we're okay. If the nega comes back and is parachba by it, then it, it flourishes in the house uh, after all these things have been done. So the coin comes again and he sees it. Uh, so now it's described Sarad Mam Eretz, um, and we have a right. So now you have to take the house apart. You take the house apart, right? It's stones, it's wood, it's uh, it's um, dust. Everything goes out. People become tame. 
But if the coin comes and sees it hasn't, right, it hasn't spread, then you just bring a korban. Okay, that's our basic, that's our basic structure. Okay, so now moving on to page two, we're going to focus at the very beginning on, right, the on the on the issues of when you come to Canaan, right, which I'm giving you an achuzah, we repeat achuzah, we have the singular of, we have the singular of bevayit, and we have this interesting verb v'nasati. So here's what Veikar Rabbah does with it. Veikar Rabbah says bevayit eretz achuzaschem is singular for a good reason. It's singular because it refers to the Beit HaMikdash. All right, there's only one house that we're referring to, and it's the house which in some way represents the whole uh, Eretz HaKuzah, it's the Beit HaMikdash. And the one who, right, and the circumlocution, the one to whom the house belongs, is circumlocutus because it's not talking about a human being. Zechadosh Baruch that's talking about the Rebbe Shalom, it's talking about God. Okay, and then we play the allegory all the way through. Begid LaKohen, this is talking about Yirmiya's prophecies. Kenega Yeralabibayit, that's talking about Avodazara, doesn't take example of the Kenega. All right, then we have we 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 plug this all into the um we plug this all into the narrative. Uh, it ends on a hopeful note, which is Yahul the Olam. You might think that God destroys the house forever. No, because it says Lakula Avanimachirot that you take new houses and you restore it. Now that's a little bit weak because Lakula Avanimachirot occurs up here. Um Right, but it's what happens right if the nega hasn't spread. It's not a. It's not what happens after you've already destroyed the house. Right, so it happens that prevents you from destroying the house. But that's the way the drasha ends. So it's an interesting, interesting um, drasha. It accounts for some details of the pasuk. Um, obviously, it's not. It doesn't tell you like what the halacha is if the Beit Hamikdash requires serat. You're right. Um, right, it's dealing with right. It's, it's a histor- It's a reconstruction of. The destruction of the Beit Hamikdash as God carrying out the law of uh, the, of the Beit Hamikdash on His own house. What makes it really challenging is that the Gemara in Yoma uh, says the following: What does it mean? Base Eretz Achuzatchem, Achuzatchem mitamab benagaim, ve'eni Yerushalayim mitamab benagaim. What it tells you is that um, the only places which can become uh, which can become tummy, uh, which can acquire house tzarat, are things that were distributed to, uh, right, to as in achuzah. So the achuzah, right, is the the distribution of achuzah occurs by lottery after Bnei Yisrael get to the land, and things that are not distributed as achuzah, we can't have a bait eretz achuzachem, right? So it's defined as a house which is in an eretz which has been distributed as an achuzah. Rabbi Hino comes along and he says, nope. Nope, I only I didn't hear this about anything that's not Nachuzah. I only heard it about the Beit Hamikdash. And then each of these positions get modified in a, um, in a certain sense. Um, we then Rabbi Huda's statement is quoted in the context of a question of whether a Beit Knesset, whether Shul or a Beit Medrash, can be, uh, get Sarada by it. And since he says only Makom Mikdash, that seems to suggest that a Shul or a Beit Medrash can get Sarada by it. So the Gemara immense Rabbi Huda to say, no, I only heard makom mikudash bilvad. So Rabbi Huda actually excludes uh, excludes shuls and uh, and batemidrash as well, and not just the Beit Hamikdash. And then the Gemara says, what are they arguing about? What they're arguing about really is about whether right? Why don't why doesn't Rabbi Huda extend his position to Yerushalayim? Because uh, Rabbi Huda held that Yerushalayim was in fact divided as an achuzah at least among the tribes, and the Tanakhama held that it was not. So there are a couple of things on a very direct level. The halacha here, uh, everyone agrees, right? The the minimum position, right, which no one disagrees with, 
is that the Beit HaMikdash cannot become a uh, cannot become a house that acquires Sarat because it's not a base Eredachuzachem. Everyone agrees that the Beit HaMikdash does not is not um, distributed among the tribes. However, David HaMelech buys Goran uh, Arona. And maybe the point is that all buildings that in some sense are dedicated to God as opposed to people, right? That seems to be Rabbi Huda's position um, in the end, generally, right? All things are, right, that anything which is Makom uh including shuls and but and, and Bate Midrash can't, cannot be subject to Sarat Abayit. And this is directly opposed to the opening Midrash, which says that actually the whole Parsha is an allegory for the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. Okay, so I to figure out what, and if you want to claim, okay, this is just detail, it's not just detail, because the Gemara's expansion of his position, Dafka says it can't apply to houses that are in any way or extensive for the Beit HaMikdash. It can't apply to anything that belongs to God as opposed to us. So we have to figure out, right, to what extent are these two Midrash, uh, these two these two interpretations really presenting utterly opposed uh, visions of what Sarat Abayit is about, or are they compatible in some way because they're dealing with different genres, but there's a way of reconciling the theme, even though the the section in Yoma seems to be, really, if you were just reading it straight, you'd say, well, this is designed to prevent you from making the kind of drasha that was made in the Ikaraba. Don't think in any way that Sarat Abayit can relate to the uh, to the Beit Hamikdash. Okay, that's issue that's issue number one, uh, which seems to be a textually a response to base Eretz Echuzachem, and um, which they read in opposite ways. One of them reads it as the house, which symbolizes the Achuzah. The other one reads it, which, uh, reads it to exclude the house, which wasn't distributed as an Achuzah. And whether Uvash uh, Loha Bayit should be read uh, to say only things owned by people. Or it's circumlocutive, so it must be referring to the one Asher Lohabayit, as opposed to any one Asher Lohabayit. Okay, the Gemara in Horios raises another issue. Um, so, of course, that in Vayikra, when we're talking about the Korban brought by, um, by a Nasi, so it says Asher Nasi Echata, so the Gemara says Yechod Zera, so Asher, does it, right, Asher is not a, a, a conditional, it's not if, Asher is when. So the Gemara says, Yechol Zera, is it really possible that God is decreeing that the Nasi is going to, uh, right, is, go- is going to sin? Talmud Lomer, Im HaKoyin Mashiach Yechata, Malahalan Likashiach Yechata, Afghan Lashiach Yechata. So we basically explain the word Asher away as if it meant Im, and we don't believe that God declares that a sin is going to happen. Because the Gemara picks it up and says, Yechol Zera, Zera, Mehechatesi, like, where would we get this idea that God would declare in the Torah that a sin is going to happen. Well, we have other places we could, we might see, but the Gemara is an interesting one. Does it says Amrein Ashkechan Dichtiv Venosati Neged Saras Bevei So our pasuk says, "I will place a Neged Sarat in the house, etc." So that doesn't sound conditional. It says, "Right when you come to Eretz Canaan, right? It's not if you come to Eretz Canaan. It's when you come to Eretz Canaan. What's going to happen? Venosati Neged Saras. So that implies Besora Hilachem Hilachem Shenegaim Bayamalayim. So this is just news coming to them, right? It's just they're they're being informed that uh, there will be negaim happening on the house. So sometimes God tells you. Now it's not quite the same thing as when an asi sins because we haven't seen anything about the nega being caused by sin. It's just telling you that something's going to happen. On the other hand, the, the end is the end is out, So it seems like very likely the negaim are associated with sin. So 
we have a, right, so the Gemara presents it at this stage as this would be the precedent for God being able to claim that certain things which are the consequence of sin are inevitable. That's Rabbi Huda's position. Whereas, uh, whereas Rabbi Shimon says something odd, he says, Prat Lenige, Prat Lenige owns sin. So he reads it as the key thing is Venasati means saying God says, I will place, and so it can't be that the Nega gets there. Um, in some way, which is not a direct cause of God. So it's right. It's an interesting thing. I think, right? Legally, uh, the equivalent, uh, the English equivalent of the term onus, right? Things against your will, right? We say are acts of God. But here, onus is defined in opposition to acts of God. Only acts of God make you a nega, um, right? Because those are responsive to your own actions of sin, lechora. Um, as opposed to if a nega just, right? If let's say a wind comes and blows the nega off somebody else's house and onto yours. So that doesn't count as a nega at all. Uh, right? It's an interesting thing that there are phenomena which are nega in the appropriate place, and descriptively they're negaim, but halachically they're not because they didn't come about in the right way. Okay, so we're going to ignore, we're, we're going to bracket Rishima's position right now, but it sounds like Rabbi Huda just says, yeah, right, we're just reading Rabbi Huda now. It's, Rabbi Huda says, yeah, you know what, some sins are going to happen, and I, I'm telling you that it's going to happen this way. And there's no theological outrage. Although it seemed like that's a little odd because it seemed like there was theological outrage up here at the idea. Uh, right? The Gemara is just trying to say, like, where's the Havamina? Right? Where'd you get the Havamina that we might say it's inevitable for the Nasida sin? But here it, it doesn't seem like it's just the Havamina. It seems like we actually conclude that way. So you look at the Sifra, right? There's a kind of odd uh, frame right here. It's not Divri Rabbi Rabbi Shimon Omer. It's not uh, clearly. It's not obviously a machloket between Rabbi Rabbi Shimon, and there's a textual thing, right? See, we could just read it as straightforwardly. Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi said it's a basura, but somebody put the word in the chi, as like, could it possibly be? And then everyone agrees, right? It can't possibly be that. So Rabbi Shimon comes along and says, no, that right, that it, um, it's really halachically just to exclude things that happen by themselves, as opposed to the things that God puts there. So that's a, a very odd notion also, though, right? So Guess what left is like sort of this this puzzle of why would of all things right why would the one thing that God puts in here be the one the one time that God does make exera and say look the sin's going to happen and here's what's going to happen as a consequence why would that be this area of Bayit Hamanuga if in fact Rabbi Huda says this then we can see that the insertion of the word Zochi here was intended to prevent you from think right from reading it that way okay so the the background I think that one has to um, one has to have in the background. So first of all, Rabbi Huda is the same one who said, I only heard it about, I only heard it about the Beit HaMikdash. And we can figure out how that ties in. And secondly, that there is uh, a famous um, Tosefta, which we'll, we'll see it both in Tosefta and in the version uh, in the version quoted in the Gemara. The Tosefta says, Beit HaMikdash, lo hayav lo atid The Tzarat HaBayit never happened, never will happen. It's just there for Josh Vakabel Skar. It's there as a pure hypothetical. Then Rabbi Lazar Bishimon comes along and says, "What? I there's a place in Aza where which right which they say that's the place where where we put the stuff from from the Bayit Hamanuga." Rabbi Shimon Ben Yehuda says there's a place in Galil which they used to have signs on it saying this is where we put the uh, the avanim from the the avanim from the house. Um, okay, so that's a right. So that's that's an interesting dispute in its own right. And then there's the same dispute we saw previously. About Yerushalayim um, and the position, the position of Rabbi Huda. In the um, 
in the Gemara Sanhedrin, they quote this to Sefta, who says it never happened. And they say that the position that it never happened is the halachic position of Eliezer Rabbi Shimon. But Eliezer Rabbi Shimon has this very implausible notion of how the negatzarat should appear. It has to appear uh, right, as right, exactly the size of two of uh, two grisid uh, on two different rocks on two different walls in the corner and exactly this size. So that the Gemara thinks is implausible, as opposed to the previous two positions, which have fewer qualifications which make it plausible for the uh, negatzeras to happen. So the only thing I'm going to point out is that the, the Babli identifies the position that it never happened with Rabbi Yezer Rabbi Shimon, but the Tosefta quotes Rabbi Yezer Rabbi Shimon as one of the people who declare that it did happen. And that, right, that you can always question the attributions, but that makes it a little bit unconvincing that the source of this position is actually, oh, look, Rabbi Shimon Lazar reached the halakhic conclusion that it's this way, um, and it even the, the association seems a little bit uh, seems a little weak. Right, the Gemara has a has Rabbi Yisrael Shimon deriving himself from the word wall and walls, but it seems very unlikely that Rabbi Shimon actually said, "Hmm, well, now that I've reached this halachi conclusion, it's impossible." That seems uh, that seems a little bit uh, that seems a little bit odd. So have, but in, in the Bible, we have different. We have we also have Rabbi Yisrael Farako. So here is the here is the. Um, the question I want to ask that puts these um, here, you can just see the mission in the game, right? Where there, are, you can see there are three positions, and Rabbi Shimon is not presented as saying something that's radically different. He's more machmir, or, or he's more he's, he has a more restrictive monikel, if you want, a more restrictive notion of what constitutes Radabayit, But it sounds like it's a natural progression, literally. It doesn't sound like it doesn't look like if you look at the way these positions are presented, that as if Rabbi Shimon is totally changing the nature of the halacha. So it seems more likely that um, that the position that never was, never will be, is somehow independent of any specific halachic position. So the first question I want to ask, and this is what I wrote about this week, but it's not going to be the focus of this year, is um, where do first of all, where do we get this idea? That right, where would why would anyone come up with the idea that specifically sarada bayit never happened? Right, so the two other cases in that Gemara Sanhedrin where the Gemara famously says it about about the rebellious son and the and the um, and the idolatrous city, and in both of those cases you can at least make a prima facie claim, as many have, that the reason that it never that people say it never was and never will be is because they find it implausible that God would want that to happen. It seems it seems radically disproportionate in some way or. Uh, right, right, you know, or just too strict. Even if you, even if you grant the enormity of a crime, to um, to kill a child for actions, that, you know, for stealing from his parents and drinking wine, um, and would the parents really do it? Right, that's the right because the parents have to testify. Um, and the Dacha, right, to, right, which even though even the halakha as it is is modified only to those people actually committed idolatry, but it still strikes facts of uh, mass extermination. Uh, so we understand why there would be tension about applying this. But Abayi Manuga is a house. Now you want to claim, right? There are nice, right? Some of, some of my students wrote, you know, last year's you know, nice things. That I think we would call drushos about why tearing down a house is such a terrible thing. But you know, we could just set up a, a Habitat for Humanity program, which rebuilds the houses of everybody whose house is destroyed by Sarada Abayi. So it seems very odd to. Um, that there's any kind of external purpose 
driving the claim that it never happened never, and never will happen. So we can look for a textual uh, for a textual basis, and the textual basis would have to be, ironically, the word vinasati. That that presenting this as an inevitability, if it is a consequence of sin, is theologically so problematic that the result is we reverse the inevitability and we say because the Torah presents it as inevitable, therefore it has to be impossible. Um, that that I think is the is the best I can do. Uh, although I am I'm, you know I'm, I'm I am open with you that I don't think it's a terribly compelling claim. But I don't have a better I don't have a better way of um, I don't have a be- I don't have a better way of reading it. Um, and yeah, it's really it's really very strange. It's really a very strange a very strange claim that it never uh, that never happened. Um, and as I said, I think that the the only way I can get to it is by reading it as a response to uh, to inevitability. Okay, I want to show a couple more things on uh, on this, and then we'll break and take questions, and um, and then uh, then we'll move on to the to the second section of the series. The second thing I want to show is like really it's like a third kind of issue. So the first issue is can the Beit Hamikdash become acquire negatsarad or not? The second issue is is it halacha which is where it which Will never will never be, or is it a perfectly ordinary um, halacha? So there's a third third issue, which is what's right, which seems to build on the notion that benasati is to some extent has a positive connotation. Uh, so you probably know this from Rashi. So the Vikar Rabbah says, "Remember that before the, the word somebody puts the word v'chi into the Tosefta, um, but." And there, right, it seems like the whoever edited that Tosefta seemed to think that it didn't belong, um, but it does belong here, I think. As we'll watch, we'll watch it come out, right? So Mechia says, "What is this?" Right? I think the way he's reading it is not just is it inevitable, but is it good news that there the Nagamarkana? How could that be? To which the response is, "Tani Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai." It was the same as I should note as the uh, Rabbi Shimon we had uh, we had above, I think, which is going to which. Um, yeah, so the, right, the Gemara and Sanhedrin, and I was also Rebellion's Rebellion. Okay, so we'll bracket that for now. I don't, was this here? I don't remember where Rishimon came up before. My fault. Um, okay, so the um, so Rishimon Rechai says, when the Knanim heard that the Jews were coming, they hid all their money in their houses, and the Baruch Hu said, hang on a second, I promised them that they would come into a rich land, and now they're going to show up, and all the stuff, the good stuff is hidden, is hidden away. Uh, so, right? So, God causes Nigaim to come, right? So, that's famously Rashi said, right? The famous, I think that Rashi quotes this there. And the point is that Nigaim are a good thing because Nigaim cause you to tear down your house. When you tear down your house, that uh, you find all the hidden, all the hidden gold. Right? There's a family story for me that uh, brings us home. One of my cousins um, had their house destroyed by a uh, was hit by, hit by a um, by a, a Scud missile. During the um, during the first Gulf War, um, but and that required them to reconstruct the house. In the process of reconstructing the house, in fact, they found a box full of gold bars that a previous owner had uh, had buried to apparently to hide them in a divorce settlement. So there was a a, a blessing in disguise that the uh, that the uh, the gold bars they found in the basement paid for the paid for the reconstruction, maybe a little bit more. Um, but okay, so the thing I want to say though is so this solves a textual problem. It makes explains why it would be good news 
and why we'd use the language of an asati, but I think many people have pointed out it doesn't seem plausible to say that this fits with the position that it never happened, because what's the point of a bracha that never happens, right? A, a, a punishment that never happens, okay, we can say it was there to scare you, but what's the point of offering you, offering you a good thing that will never happen? So it seems clear that Rashi believes that Sarat Abayit did happen, and he makes it into a good thing. Baker uh, Rabba right, um, frames it as a, a good way, a different thing, that God knows that sin is inevitable, but he's telling you, right, he's telling you that you should be grateful because if Sarat comes to your house, that means it really, right, Sarat is like a cor- uh, Sarat in your house is like a korban. It really should have happened to you, but it happened to the house instead. So the this does not fit so well textually with the uh, with the story, uh, right? Where the Sarat Abayas actually comes after it's in, uh, comes after individual Sarat. So it doesn't fit the the flow of the text uh, so well. But what is is another attempt, I think, to make right to explain the word vinosati. As saying that these this is something which actually is good for you. Okay, so the the big question I want to ask uh, in this is, let's right. I think that if I if I if I had to you know put an overall thesis out, I would I would I want to argue that the claim that's that Sarada Bayit never ha- right never happened is somehow also a response to this notion of it being inevitable, and they really have two kinds of answers to the claim. That right to the to the pasuk sounding like it's inevitable. One is to say yes, it's inevitable, but it's not the result of sin, or even if it is the result of sin, it's still a promise of a good thing as opposed to a negative. And the other is to say no, obviously it's just purely uh, purely hypothetical. Uh, if you find that kind of irony, um, that kind of irony, um, you know, a plausible way for for Torah to function. Uh, the next question I want to ask is any other kind of position. Do you think that the claim that either that Sarata Bayit is actually reward, or the claim that Sarata Bayit is purely hypothetical, should that affect the way in which you treat the right you treat this area of halacha? So when you right when you um when we said that according to the position that says it's hypothetical, it's Drosh the Kabil Shar. So does that mean Drosh learn it exactly the way that you learn every other area in Torah? And it's just that you receive reward, just like you receive reward everywhere else. Or I could see a different claim, which is that this everywhere else there is There's a risk if you get it wrong, but here there's no risk at all, because if you get it wrong, so what? It's never going to happen anyway. Um, and so I could argue that it's either that that you should expect a much freer kind of. Uh, right of exegesis here that you do in other in other areas in the halacha, not just in the yagata. The problem is I don't see anything like that. The Gemara tries to argue that the position of Lazar ben Shimon, which which imposes uh, right great precision on it, is that kind of uh, right on the, the way the Nega looks is that kind of thing. I'm not. It's not obvious to me. If it's a good right again, I say that's incompatible. If it's a good thing now, if it's a good thing, do I expect halacha to be different? So if it's a good thing, then all of a sudden every time I exclude a house. That uh, right, that that is a negative. Now we could argue, ah, but I mean, the obvious thing is it should never, it shouldn't apply then to any houses that were built um, by the Jews themselves. It should only apply to houses built by right, built by the prior, uh, by the prior denizens. That right, so uh, yet that does not seem to be the, um, the halacha. In fact, the halacha we didn't show you. The halacha seems to be 
that it only applies to houses at least owned by Jews. Um, okay, maybe it doesn't apply to houses, but, right, but it's it's a very it's very odd to see. Right, well, that seems like a <clears throat> a textual response to the problem of inasati. It doesn't seem like the halacha in any way takes into account any of these positions. Um, so that leaves you um, right. It leaves you two possibilities. Either right, this is what my argument is that either it leaves the possibility that actually halacha being purely hypothetical doesn't change halacha at all, which makes me uncomfortable. Um, at least it makes me uncomfortable unless you could also you could argue that it means that somehow you have to act as if it's real, and that's kind of, right because it affects every other area of halacha. Um, or it means, which I think is more likely, that the position that is purely hypothetical has absolutely no influence. In the uh, in the system, and nobody else ever held that way, uh, right? The Gemara seems to connect it to one nafkamina, but that right to one halachic position. But I think we've shown that that halachic position is perfectly compatible with the alternative. The Gemara is trying to find a way to connect this position to some somewhere, and it can't find a convincing one. Is the easiest proof of that is that the person who holds the position the Gemara connects it to is the person who who the Tosefta cites is saying that I saw it. Right, and it happens. So that that seems to me the most likely thing seems to me to be that although that position gains great prominence, specifically in Rosalovetrix Isha Halacha, um, that the standard position is that either that everybody assumes it happens anyway, or which some Rishonim say that it never happened, never will happen, is just hyperbole. It means it ha- it means that it's very very rare. Um, but I'm very open to pushback if somebody writes somebody saying, no, 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 I look, I can look at these, at these parshiot, and there's something about these parshiot and about the way the rabbis respond to them that makes it clear to me that this is a different kind of halacha. And here, right here, we, right here, it's just Rosh Vikabal Okay. That is the end, I think, of the first part of it here. Um, so I'm going to stop now and see if anybody has questions or comments. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you you have a moral problem with the with the with the medrash because it seems to be working with a stereotype. Yeah, no, that could be right. You could create a midah connected midah. It could be that that's when you know when when you're about to go into exile, you don't know when you're going to return. So a lot you know you, you can't carry stuff with you, so you hide stuff, right? It's just a normal uh, right. There's nothing special about Canaanites or Jews about it. It's just that's. It's reasonable if you come into a land as a, as a conquering army, uh, in which you know where the people previously there did not have time to not have time to flee. That there's going to be lots of stuff hidden in the walls. Aha. Uh, uh-huh. Okay. I don't know. As I can tell you that it does happen in divorce cases, uh, right? Because that was that was my cousin's experience. That there really was a. Uh, there really was a lockbox of gold bars um, hidden in, in a, you know, in a, in a in a compartment that was cemented into the basement. Um, 
as far as I know. Okay. All right. So let's let's um, let's move to part two then. What I want to do in part two, and I'm going to ask up front, right? Is we'll ask the question this way, right? Are the are the motives we give, the sins we give, as the right? So we've had the two positive things that might cause Sarada by it. Uh, it might be that God wants to give us. Uh, might be that God wants to give us um, to give us money somehow. Uh, or it might be that he's somehow giving us advance warning, but this is not this is not really the appropriate punishment for the sin. Um, well, the question is, right? Assuming it is sin, so what sorts of sins do we think cause um, cause cause sarata uh, by it? Can we find commonalities in the things in the sins that people suggest? Are there ways in which a, the a claim that this halacha will never happen would affect the kinds of sins? That we ascribe as the cause, and then what I want to do, hopefully, is open up a a model, uh, which will give all of you um, models for different. Right, you can have your own different Torah at the Shabbos table or in conversations with your families uh, in other in other fora. I want to open up uh, a large, what I think is a large space for um, for midrash, uh, while hopefully raising some other interesting questions uh, as well. So here we go. So in um, in Devarim, Chavtala uh, Zayin Tet, we uh, we have we have an interesting conjunction of Sukkim, and I'm giving you the three Sukkim that are uh, you know that are paragraph in the Torah. So first we have the Halacha, which says that you are right that kidnapping is a capital crime, right? Right, if you find uh, somebody somebody stealing a nefesh right from among your fellow Jews. And then selling them, who made the ganavahu, right? So the, the the kidnapper dies. So the atzaharami kibech, and you should wipe the evil out from your from your midst. Then we have a segue, utterly unexpected. Be careful about sarat. Very very careful about sarat. Do whatever the kohanim and levim tell you, as I've read lots of information like that. And then Remember what God did to you. Uh, God did to, to, to Miriam on the on the way of uh, on the way out of Egypt. So the phrase says, "What's the connection between what God did to Miriam and Sarat?" The answer is to tell you that Nagaim caused because of Lashon Hara because Miriam told Lashon Hara. So this is a very odd drasha because the connection was obvious. Miriam got Sarat. Right? As we just told you, be very careful about Sarat. Why should I tell you to be very careful about Sarat? Because remember, God gave Miriam Sarat, and Moshe Rabbeinu had to plead with God to, to heal her, so you're not going to have Moshe Rabbeinu to plead for you, so you should be very careful about Sarat. The Sifri, for some reason, does not find that a an adequate, uh, an adequate link, and therefore it says it has to be the connection is that we get Sarat for the same reason that Miriam gets Sarat, and the reason that Miriam got Sarat was for Lashon Hara. So now we have a one-to-one correspondence. What causes Sarat? We haven't distinguished among kinds of Sarat, but what causes Sarat, perhaps all kinds of Sarat, is just the sin of Lashon Hara. How do we know that? Because Miriam got Sarat and she gets Lashon Hara. So I, being a, uh, you know, I'm in a contrarian mood, I might say, that's not really the really interesting question. The really interesting question is, what's the connection between kidnapping and Sarat? Um, and the answer should be that Sarat has at least two causes. Sarat is caused by Lashon Hara and by kidnapping. Okay. My drasha didn't win, so you'll have to keep it in the back of your mind. And we don't know offhand yet, I guess, of anybody 
who got the rat because they engaged in kidnapping. But I would be looking for somebody now. I got to think, is there any place in Tanakh where I can claim that somebody received Surat because, where somebody received Surat with whom I can somehow claim kidnapped and, uh, and, uh, and sold somebody? Okay. So I have my question, but so far we're one to one correspondence. Here's the, um, here's the Sifra, the Drush, right? There we were on the Medrash on Devar, now we're in the Medrash on the Ikra. Um, so it says, Uvashir Loha Bayit. So, all right. So it's really it's an odd line, right? So the person who owns the house comes to the coin and says to him. So we usually treat uh, lemor as, as quote unquote. But um, one of the, right, the the ambiguity is that lemor sometimes may seem to mean telling them to say. So this is somehow interpreted here as saying that the what what the, that somehow the Somehow the coin is saying something related to his sin, right? So it's a little bit difficult for me to figure out exactly how it gets there. So it says, Even though the phrase says Lemur, meaning that he says to the Kohen, we treat Lemur as uh, he says this to the Kohen so that the Kohen will say something back to him. Here's what the coin says back to him. Right? That, right? He accepts the Midrash of the of the of the uh, free that if you if you if you have a nega it's got to be because you said lashon hara in the exact same uh, on based on the exact same juxtaposition between Miriam uh, and Sarah but the, uh, right and then we have a kavachomer right Miriam Miriam received lashon hara and she's only speaking not to Moshe's face so it must be worse if you insult someone to their face other people think that no it's better if you would insult them to their face not our issue. Roshim Menelazar then comes along and says, you know, it's not just Lashon Hara, it's also something called Gasus Haruah. Um, which sounds like, you know, sounds like being too full of yourself. Right? Being, uh, being coarse, coarse-spirited. Um, and how do we know that? Because we have a story about Uziah. Right? It's Uziah, uh, right, the king in Debrehi Yamim, who at some point, even though he's been very from, he, regavali bo, his, his heart is somehow uh, raised over much to the point of destruction, and he tries to become Kohen and not just king. And he's right, he comes to the Beit HaMikdash and he's trying to bring a turret, uh, and the Kohenim are trying to talk him out of it, but he goes ahead. And the last line is and Zarat bursts out on his forehead. So Uziah is engaged in, he's engaged in. Being above his place, he thinks that he, not only is he king, he can also be coined. So he gets Sarat. So now we have two characters who have Sarat and Tanakh, Miriam and Uziah. And now we have two sins, right? We don't try to claim they have the same sin. They are two sins. And so Sarat comes because of Lashon Hara and because of Gasus Haruach, uh, right? It's very nice that Gasus Haruach is somehow symbolized by uh, Sarat on his forehead. Miriam, we don't know where her Sarat is. Okay, fine. Okay. Now we can expand this a little bit because Rabbi uh, Shimon says in Sefatana, Lashon Hara, right? Uh, so first of all, he has the he has the uh, it's not that Negai, the way we had that Negaim only cause we call Lashon Hara. He says no, it's if you tell Lashon Hara, you're guaranteed to get uh, to get Sarat. Okay, I think the guarantee is a little overstated. So he points out right that Aaron and Miriam shouldn't just be Miriam. Aaron and Miriam have Lashon Hara together. So, well, there are midrashim, which I don't think we need to go into right now, that uh, Aaron also has Sarat, 
but his sarad is healed immediately, whereas Miriam's sarad is healed only after uh, after Moshe prays for her. Okay, so now we have two characters in Tanakh, three characters in Tanakh, Aaron, Miriam, and Uziah, and two sins, uh, Gilead Rios and, uh, sorry, um, Freudian slip, uh, Lashon Hara, and, um, and, um, and Asus Haruch. Uh, okay, right, we say that they were, right, they, they were particularly guilty because they didn't even know what that motion was doing anything wrong. Just fun that the, this version of it claims that what they they had a doubt that Moshe had Gafsus Haruach, and so they got Lashon Haruach. So that connects very nicely to Gafsus Haruach. Uh, Shimon Elazar comes along and he says, um, he says even Mesapri Lashon Haruach get Nagayim. So it's not clear why he says even Mesapri Lashon Haruach, since the first answer also was Mesapri Lashon Haruach. But our interest in him is less that than his introduction of a new character, Gechazi. So Gechazi, the Gechazi, the uh, the servant of Elisha Hanavi, also gets Tarat. But here so we say, what did he do wrong? Shetiper Lashon Hara Birabo. He said Lashon Hara about Elisha. Um, and therefore, Tarat stuck with him until his death. As we right, as Elisha tells him, may the Tarat of Naaman fix you, and he leaves with Tarat. So what we don't see in the proof text is Gechazi speaking Lashon Hara about Elisha. So we'll have to go look and see, did Gechazi really speak Lashon Hara about Elisha? So the answer is, I'm uh, not... Not a hundred percent. It's a, not a, he he goes to Naaman and he claims that Elisha asked not but Elisha sends Naaman away without accepting the wealthy gifts that Naaman had brought, and um, and Gehazi goes to Naaman and asks, says, "Oh, he he reconsidered and really he wants you to give right to give him this amount of money, etc. for that right so that he can distribute it to right to to particular people." So I guess you could say that's Lashon Hara about Elisha. Uh, but we are right now is, you know, so we have more characters than sins. We have Aaron, Miriam, and Gehazi, and all of them are only about Lashon Hara. And then we have Uziah, who gets Gasus Haruach. And now since Elisha tells Gehazi, it's the Tzarat of Naaman, so it really is a character called Naaman, um, right, whom Elisha heals from his Tzarat, um, and why did he get Sarat? So we have too many characters and not enough sins. That's not a sustainable um, situation. So, um, right, so Zosefta tries to make distinctions between Nigaim, which come because and Sarat becomes Gasei Ruach. I don't know the difference between Nigaim and Sarat, so I can't help you there. But um, here we have a here we have another approach to the, uh, the issues. So the Gemara has a background thing. And the background thing is that all these things in our Parsha, um, emissions from genitalia that are not directly associated with intended sexuality, and Sarat, all these things should have been healed at Harsina. So the interesting thing, all these things in the Torah are not really, are all supposed to be hypothetical, because after Harsina, all these things, all these are illnesses that are not, that are not supposed to happen. So how can we have mitzvot that were never supposed to happen? The answer is, okay, because they were inevitably going to happen. But now the question is, at what point, if we take this midrashic tradition, that at Sinai, all these conditions were healed, and they were never supposed to happen again, so then why do they happen again, right? So that's the same question as asking, what is the sin that precipitates the, the reintroduction of Sarat into the lives of the Jewish people? And that should be roughly the same as what sins cause Sarat. And here we have a much broader perspective. 
Right? So Ravuna Roshaya says that it's the kind of midaka midah, it's very odd claim. He claims they used to they, right, that the Jews were um, telling Lashon Hara about their leaders and saying, ha, that's a leader, but wasn't his family Mitzoraim? So there's an irony because the Jews remember that people who had been healed of Sarat had previously had Sarat and they gossiped about that and that gossip led them to acquire Sarat. What really causes this, it seems, is that another Pasuk introduced, right, which is that in Bamidbar, where we don't learn in Mitzorah, but we learn in Bamidbar, we learn that the commandment to send all Mitzoraim and Zavim uh, out of the Machana, and that occurs after the census, so that somehow is connected to the notion they were speaking about the people, the leaders, the leaders mentioned in the census. Rabbi Tanchuma says, no, they were mentioning, they were, they were saying Lashon Hara about the Aron, saying that the Aron causes its, right, causes its holders to die, because that happens on occasion. And then again, there's an irony because they say Lashon Hara, the Aron does bad things, therefore bad things happen to them. And this happens because the Parsha of Ahib and Koharon is very close to this Tzavah's B'nai Yisrael Yishol Chumen HaMachanet. Whereas Rabbanon say, no, it actually happens immediately after the Egel, um, where Moshe sees the people, and it says language they use is Faruahu, which means and we can try and find linguistic proofs for this. And Rabbi Rabbi Simon says, no, it's when they were uh, when they, when they were uh, because right where they end and they end up having way too much uh, right complaining about the the diet. So here we have a whole new right. So first we could assimilate to lashon hara. The ego is not lashon hara. The ego is avodah zara, and misonim seems like ingratitude, impatience, something like that. So we have a whole we have a bunch of new sins. Um, the problem is that they don't really you know that they they don't solve our our surfeit of characters, right? They, they don't, they don't, ex, they don't um, explain why Naaman got Sarat. They don't differentiate between Aaron and Miriam. Um, Gechaz, Gechazi is still in the same place as Aaron and Miriam. So we have more sins. Uh, right now we can say we have Lashonara, Gassasaruach, Avodazara, uh, Impatience, and we have a whole bunch of characters, but we haven't really put this together in a coordinated, uh, a coordinated way. Uh, okay, but now we get to Gemara and Sota. Gemara and Sota says, Amar Bishvul Bar Nachmeni, Amar Bionatan, Al Shiva Dvarim Negoyim Boim. There are seven causes for Tzorah. So we thought it was just Lashon Hara and Gazus Aruch, but now we expanded the range to Abodazara and Impatience, and now we're going to get up to seven. Uh, now, what are the, where, where do we get those seven from? Um, so, in Arachin, Meyoti um, Bezimra tells us that there's a Pasuk in Tehillim, that associate with Lashon Hara, okay, but great. It's a pasuk until like associate with Lashon Hara, but it could have said a bit more than it because it associates it with Malshine Besetsa Reehu. That's Lashon Hara. Gova Inayim. We could say that's Gasus Haruach. People with excessively high eyes or Chav Levav. That might also be Gasus Haruach. Okay, so we have other pesukim to connect it. That doesn't help our problem. Um, Rish Lakish has a new thing. He reads the Torah as a pun on the Torah is Moti Shemra. So now you have to decide whether. Moti Shemra is different or the same as Lashon Hara. But either way, we haven't gotten up to seven, right? We have Lashon Hara and Gassus Haruah and maybe Avodazara from the Egel and maybe Impatience of some sort from Miss Onanim. And maybe we'll count Moti Shemra and Lashon Hara separately. But we know where we got up to seven. So where do we get these seven things that cause Lashon Hara? Um, so here we have our list in our Rachid. So Shlom Rachmeni says the seven things we have are Lashon Hara. Shfichut damim, bloodshedding. Where'd that come from? I haven't heard of that before. Shuat shav, taking false, taking meaningless oaths. 
sexual sins. And Gatsas Ruach, Gezel, where did that come from? And Saras Ayin, and Stinginess. So all of a sudden we have seven, and we're missing perhaps the Misoninim. They don't seem to be here anywhere. And we've put it, right, we're missing mostly Shemra as a separate category. Um, so really we have nine now. Where do we know about these seven? So new characters show up. Uh, okay, so Lashon Hara, we quote the Pasuk of Dalim, but we could have quoted Aaron, Miriam, and Gehazi as well. Samim, we get that from Yoav. Right? Yoav kills a number of people, um, but Abner ben Nair is the one that we right, that we hold him guilty for because he kills Abner ben uh, ben Nair after peace has been uh, has been restored in the um, after Abner makes his peace with the Davidic monarchy, and therefore Yoav gets. Um, Yoav ends up being a uh, being a Mitzvah, right? Yoav Yoav's family is cursed with with Zavut and uh, and Sarat for um, and Sarat forever. So now we have a new character, Yoav, and a new sin to match with him, which is Shvichut Zamin. Okay, now we have a Shvuat Shav. So Shvuat Shav is um, is interesting because Shvuat Shav is associated with Vayomer Naaman. Um, sorry, Vayomer Naaman El Hawil Kach Kikarami Naaman says, "Take these silver things." But it doesn't mean that Naaman is a character of sin. This is part of the dialogue that Naaman had with Gechazi, and now Gechazi is not being accused of lashon hara anymore. Gechazi is being accused of taking a false oath when he tells Naaman, "This is what my master asked me to do." So okay, so now we have a new sin. And we've managed to be more efficient in our use of characters because Gehazi is no longer is no longer redundant as a source of Lashon Hara. He has his own sin. Gilei Arayot, oh, well, yes, there's a new character, Paro. This is not the Paro of, of uh, the Exodus, or right, or this is the Paro of Aaron of Avram and Sarah. So when right when Paro takes Sarah away, when Avram says that she, that uh, she's his sister, so it says that God uh, imposes great negaim on Paro. And also Al Beito, we're not going to uh, get that for a while. So Paro, so we could say that it's a lost opportunity. We could have said what Paro really did wrong was kidnapping, and that would have been that would have unified everything. But instead, um, the position of Shmuel Ben says that Paro introduces a new sin, which is some kind of sexual promiscuity. Gazel Saruach, we already associated with Uziah. Gezel, so Gezel, we don't have a character. We have is a claim that the reason that the coin empties the house is in some way, right, is to show right, that if he's, if he's hiding things that are stolen, now he can't hide things that are stolen and it's going to embarrass him, right? So it's, it's a drusha within as opposed to a character, and the, a similar kind of drusha about stinginess, what happens if people ask, you know, can I borrow this? And he said, no, I don't have it, but it turns out that, you know, so we empty the house, they can see whatever everything they can see whatever whatever people have. I think I'm already gets into a whole question about whether this is uh, whether whether the sarad is a kapara, but there are other things that are mechaper for this. Thing. That's not our issue right now. So we have a we have a couple of new characters. We have we have Yoav gets sarat, and we have um, we have, and paro, paro the paro of Avram gets sarat, and we have a reallocation of Gehazi, and we have seven acknowledged causes of uh, of sarat. Plus two that didn't make the list of sevens, we might be able to get up to nine if we added in uh, Moshe Shemra and um, and uh, and uh, Misoninim. Okay, but it turns out that seven isn't enough uh, either. Um, we're gonna skip that for now. 
right? So we'll see there's a girsa in Rabbeinu Gershom, but I don't know whether to take it serious or not. And his girsa is said Bavon Chet. There are eight causes of uh, of Sarat. What? We don't have a list of it, so we don't know what those are. Maybe it's a typo as the editors of Illinois Shas decided it's eight and it's eight, not seven. In Iker Rabba, all of a sudden we have a list of ten. Alasarad Varim, right? So we have a new list of things. We get Chilul Hashem and cursing God and we divide Gzela in two and we right maybe Ainara is the same thing as Saras, right? And we add in new characters. So here Gechazi is not Shuashav, but Chilul Hashem. Maybe those are the same thing. Uh, Birkat Hashem, right, cursing God we get from Goliath. Uh, so where does Goliath get Sarat? So that requires a whole bit of of uh, textual finesse. Uh, Godel Tarabim shows up from Shevna, uh, as a character um, in uh, in Malachim, who we now accuse of stealing from Hektesh, although it's not obviously what he does wrong in the character, right? So we're stretching a whole bunch of a whole bunch of uh, things. And Uziah is now not about Gatsas Aruach. We've broken Uziah away from Gatsas Aruach. Uh, and we connect him also to Gozel at Sheinu Shalom because he took someone else's place. Dividing those two seems cheap. So we are up to ten. <laughs> we have a whole bunch of new sins, but we still we don't really have a we still have a really good efficient distribution of characters to um, to sins. Okay, the Tanhuma um, says, "Ha, huh, right, you left out Naman. Why did Naman? Why did Why did Naman uh, get Tarat in the?" Uh, in the in the in the beginning, so here we finally get the Muslim efficiency. Why Mishpil Right, so Naaman was a Masora because he kidnapped a young Jewish girl. Okay, so that gets us back to kidnapping. So now at least kidnapping is in the picture, and we've connected kidnapping with a particular biblical character. Uh, right, so kidnapping can make it to number ten, and now we can we can right, we can we have the seven plus we have Motzi um, Shemra plus we have Miss Onanim, and now. Maybe right. Maybe kidnapping will make it into its own uh, its own category. But ten isn't enough because the Midrash Tanhuma says there are eleven. So we have eleven. Now we need to find new ways. We have new things here. We have people who give false false testimony, judges who right who distort judgments, um, people who falsely suspect others of things, and anybody who causes uh, social strife. So right, we have to find characters for all of, for all of these, and we haven't quite uh, right, we haven't we don't quite succeed in, in finding in finding uh, characters for um, for um, for all of them. Uh, sometimes we have to reduce we have to just uh, derive it from particular um, particular prophetic denunciations of general of general characters, and those are you know there are lots of there are lots and lots of uh, of, uh, of of denunciations, and if you find a passage that sounds like it may be threatening, but Sarat, we can multiply, but it's not neat, right? I think, right? And here you can see that the characters move around again, right? Paro now is not about Gilearios. Paro is about causing strife because he causes strife between Avram and Sarah. Uh, I don't know. Naaman is now about Gasterfaruach and not about kidnapping. Um, and okay, Koshibik Shermi had already. Now, 11 isn't enough either, because it turns out that in Yalko Shimoni, we have a text which says, right? it says there are 17 things that cause Lashon HaRoah. Now, it could be that really this is a combination of 7 and 10, and it's not really, we never, really never get above 11, but it seems to me at least plausible that really it's 17. Okay, so you all get from the, um, but you all get from the structure of this, and uh, is that if you're thinking as a darshan, 
and maybe you have more freedom, at least in the area of Tzradabayit, to think even more freely. So what you should be doing is, right, if you're trying to do this systematically, and this is where I give you the Dvar Torah, is just look for every character anywhere in Tanakh or in rabbinic literature about Tanakh, um, or which you can add other specific characters, or I think let you get fewer points if instead of a specific character, you um, you just talk about a, a general denunciation, and you say, aha, what did they do wrong? It must be that they all did something different. And so every character gets their sin, and that way, the more characters you have, the more sins you have, the more causes you can have um, for Tarat. Um, right, so there's a Pasuk initially that, right, that gives you a whole list of sins that can lead. Uh, and that's where a lot of these came from, right? And I am remote, Lashon Sheker, Shvichut Amim, right? So you can see, right, uh, you can see that all these, that many of the categories that have previously come from this Pasuk. Um, what I want to do is say that there's an, op- there's an opportunity which has been uh, missed in all these Drashot, and I want to offer it to you and see what sort of uh, Drashot we can have. Um, they gave you other other sins of Gechazi. I'll start with Gechazi. Is also uh, some people think what he did wrong was he called his Rebbe by name, um, some, right? There's other people who think that what's wrong with, with Gechazi is a combination of things, including that he denied Tchiyatametim, so he denied Elisha's miracle in, uh, before, right before the miracle happened. Uh, there's a version which has that Dabi gets the rats. All of these can be added to see if you can get up to um, to 17. There's a medrash that says that Yiftach. Uh, the 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 the, the uh, pasuk in Shoftim said the Iftah was buried in Arei Yehuda. How can he be buried in multiple cities? The answer is that his limbs fell off um, because, right, as a punishment for his treatment of his daughter. So we could say that that is uh, that's also a reflection of Surah. But here, to me, is the opportunity that has been missing, and it astonishes me that people don't um, don't get it. In right, we have Shima Right, so this is I'm not sure if it's this week's Haftarah in the end, um, but. I, Sure, it's the it's the Torah of Mitzrayim. It's also one of the Torahs on uh, Pesach. I forget um, that um, that there are four people with Sarat sitting at the edge of the gate when right when it, it turns out that right, they give the good news that the Assyrian army has been destroyed and has fled. So who are these four Mitzrayim? So there's a, there's a Gemara in Sota which says Amar Biochanan. This is Gechazi and his three sons. So it astonishes me. And I don't know anything like this in, uh, I don't know any, any, anything else in the rest of uh, rabbinic literature like this is that, uh, so thank you, right? Sam, you're entirely right. We left out Moshe Rabbeinu himself getting Sarat, uh, why that should be, right? That's a character that we're missing. Um, but what astonishes me is I cannot find anywhere else in rabbinic literature where we, where Gechazi's three sons are identified in any way as anything other than the three sons of Gechazi. The Achronim spend time trying to figure out how can there be four Mitzvahim together, isn't the whole point of Sarat to be and some of them say, okay, that doesn't apply to parents and children because they have a Mitzvah of Kibbutz and some people say, because we know that Gechazi's sin wasn't Lashon Hara, and the requirement to sit separately is only because of Lashon Hara, right? that's a much more uh, extravagant claim, but it seems to me that there is just room for creativity. Come up with names for Gechazi's three sons, and identify them with some of the with with sins, either sins that are on our list that made when we got to eleven, or with new sins that would get us up to seventeen, and then figure out where did they commit those sins. Uh, so it astonishes me that that has not been done. We have you know we have 
gaps in our list of uh, of sins. We don't really have enough sins to get to 17. And we have unused characters. There, there are three sons of Gechaz who get Sarat, and nobody explains why. So what I'm leaving you as a Joshua opportunity for is, uh, by all means, you know, come up with uh, with names and sins for each of Gechaz's uh, three sons, ideally you know, by connecting them to specific episodes in Tanakh that are plausibly connected to people living at the time of uh, at the time uh, in the time of Gechazi's children, and then we can write a new midrash that will uh, get us up. Uh, right, and the project in any case is to try and get up. To, I think that the goal should be seventeen characters with Sarat, seventeen different sins, um, and then try and figure out what that teaches us. Okay, thank. You. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.